HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden, a beautiful handcrafted agricultural journal. Purchase a copy today at southernfarmandgarden.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, September 19th, 2018. This is the 189th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an impressive restaurateur, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to take care of yourself. Always remember that you should come first, as without good health and well-being, nothing else really matters. Certainly work and making a living are very important, but if we neglect to listen to our bodies and prioritize our needs, there will be no job to go to or success to be had. So keep self-care on the top of your list, as being healthful is everything. And that's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have my guest here with me in the studio. It's Michael Chernow. He's the owner of Seymour's, a 100% sustainable seafood restaurant, which he founded in 2015, now has six locations in New York City. Michael is also the co-founder of The Meatball Shop, which he launched in New York City in 2010 with his childhood friend, Daniel Holtzman, and that was has been an instant hit and grown to multiple locations. He's co-authored The Meatball Shop Cookbook. He's a graduate of the French Culinary Institute and a passionate fisherman. And looking at his resume of all the shows he's been on, he's been on basically every late night show and lots of TV shows um, from Late Night with 
Seth Meyers to Chelsea Lately and Jimmy Fallon and tons of press. He's also worked with major lifestyle and corporate brands, including J. Crew and Chase. And finally, he um, was the host of FYI series Food Porn and starred on C- CNBC's docuseries Consumed the Real Restaurant Business. So I could keep going on with all your accolades, but that's a good summary and um, a lot. So welcome, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you, and I know you you have a busy schedule, so I appreciate you coming out here to Bushwick to to chat. Any opportunity I get to to hang out with you and come to Roberta's, I take. Ah, wow. (laughs) All right. I like this kickoff to the show. I'll take it. So um, let's start with your background, how you got into the industry. I believe you were working in restaurants since a young age. Yeah. First of all, I want to, I want to thank you uh, very much for that amazing introduction. (laughs) I'm I'm like blushing Uh, and, and for thinking of me for, for the show. I I genuinely appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you. Of course. Um, Yeah. My history, I, I, I've, I've never not had a job in a restaurant. My first job in life was in a restaurant and I work in a restaurant to the very day. And I've never taken more than, I don't know, a two or three week uh, break from that over the last, let's see, I'm 37. So that puts me in 25 years. So that's a long time for, for me. Um, and, you know, I, I got a job in a restaurant when I was, I, th- I think I had just turned 13 years old. My business partner in the meatball shop, Daniel Holzman actually got me uh, the first job as a delivery boy. He was working in the restaurant already. It was a vegan restaurant on the Upper East Side called the Candle Cafe. And the two of us started our restaurant careers there. Uh, Had a uh, vegan restaurant. It's amazing. Ironically, we opened up the meatball (laughs) shop, started in a vegan restaurant. Um, But, you know, the two of us for whatever reason, just loved being in the restaurant. We loved being in the restaurant. We were there as much as we could. We had jobs in restaurants all through high school. We were the only two kids that really um, had like legit jobs all through high school. And um, Daniel gravitated towards the back of the house and I gravitated towards the front of the house. Um, though I'm passionate about food and cooking and um, all that jazz, I, I'm certainly more of a people people person. Um, and that's what I am most passionate about, like the human connection. So I, 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 once I got hired in that place, I just had this feeling that I had arrived. I knew it at that young age that I was going to be in this, in this business. Um, and, uh, and, and everything I did from that age on was, was working towards having a career, a real career in the restaurant industry. Um, and, and in those days it wasn't like cool to have a restaurant uh, job it wasn't you know like there weren't guys running around with uh tattoos and curly mustaches working in restaurants it just it wasn't the case it was like uh, either you're you're in it because you loved it you're you're in it because that was the only place that would have you you're in it because you were born and raised in the restaurant industry but it wasn't a it wasn't an industry that um you know uh kids in bushwick were like fighting for the line cook position to be in uh, at that time, and uh, and 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 I worked in restaurants uh, for a long time. And when I was, uh, I'd worked in a number of restaurants. I landed a job when I was 20 years old in a restaurant that I had wanted to work in for two years from f- since I was 18. And it's a little Italian place on uh, on Second Avenue between Fifth and Sixth Street called Frank Restaurant. Iconic place, still there. 
I ate there last Thursday night. It was packed, crushes it, just sort of iconic East Village pioneer restaurant. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I started working there at 20, and that's when I really started putting the pieces together uh, for, uh, for, for this potential career as a restaurateur. Um, I, I owe a lot of the success um, to, the, uh, to, the, to the motivation I got or the inspiration I got from my boss, Frank, at that restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he tried to encourage me by discouraging me. Uh, and you know, he, 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 he would say things like, I don't know if you got it in you, Mikey and things like that, but I know that it was tough love. And anyway, when I was 23, I really, I really, um, started putting my best foot forward. Um, I, you know, I parted my ass off as a kid and, and growing up in New York city, that's just kind of what you do. Um, but when I was 23, I started to take my life very seriously and I, I stopped the partying and I really put a plan together, went to culinary school and then, uh, after I got my degree in culinary, I, I signed up for uh, – they, they offered a, a, a restaurant management uh, program degree. So I, I signed up for that and I took that. Um, and then after that, I, I started working on getting Daniel Holzman back to New York to, uh, to open up a restaurant with me because we had always discussed doing it as kids together. And our dream would be to have a restaurant together. He'd be the chef. I'd be the, the front of the house and, you know, we would do it. And so I started putting that plan together. It took me a year to get Daniel back. But I did. And, uh, you know, the meatball shop was an idea that came out of Frank Restaurant. It came out of uh, a dish there called the Rigatoni Ragu uh, that I used to eat on a very regular basis. Um, And uh, we came out to the meatball shop. And I knew exactly, you know, where I wanted it to be and what it it was supposed to feel like. And um, once we had both agreed on those terms, uh, uh, the about 14 regulars from Frank uh, invested in, in Daniel and I to open up the meatball shop, along with a couple of other folks. Um, but, but we really raised the brunt of the money from regulars at that restaurant. And, uh, and, and we opened up a restaurant on the Lower East Side. It was a massive success from the, from the day we opened the doors. Um, we got some funding to do some more, and we did some more. And, uh, yeah, and the meatball shop is, I mean, I, the meatballs changed my life. Well, I mean, I mean, as someone in the restaurant industry or living in New York and just observing what happened with the meatball shop, it was and has been such an instant hit and success. I mean, what do you what do you attribute that to? I mean, for people not who don't know the concept and probably everyone listening to the show does, but the format's a little bit different with with how it's it's very user consumer friendly that you can basically style your your own meal with with any variety of, of meatballs. If I'm if and I don't know if that's correct. Totally. Okay. I think there are a number of elements as to what made that place or what makes that place or places now successful. Um, you know, if you if you come back to the core uh, the foundation of it, it, it was created by two real restaurant guys that are incredibly authentic and have an enormous amount of experience in the restaurant business, both in the back and the front of the house. Daniel is one of the most incredible utilitarian, hardcore chefs I know. He's worked at some of the best restaurants in the world. Um, and the man knows how to cook better than anything else he does. Mm-hmm. He is an insanely good chef. And, and, and really understands how to, how to operate a kitchen. And I am incredibly passionate about hospitality and service and making people feel good. Like that's my, that's my sort of 
thing, making people feel good and, and, and going above and beyond in any which way I can, sacrificing myself to make people happy. And he is an incredible chef. And the two of us together um, with those two skill sets created this, this thing. Uh, that happened to be really fun for the time. We were at the pit of a recession when we opened up. Mm -hmm. And so it was it was incredibly affordable, um, completely customizable. The vibe was and is fun. fun. <laughs> and, and it's just a kind of place that you can walk in and... Uh, you know, you can walk in. I mean, we would see any, any, everything from people walking in in a tank top and flip flops to to suits after after work, um, coming down to the restaurant. And I think, you know, most people love meatballs, right? If you're, and even if you're a vegetarian, we have veggie balls that they love. You know, I think that there's so many things that that um, just resonated with with guests. Right. So you have this super successful concept and then you come up with another idea or was, how did Seymour's come about and was this something brewing in your mind for a long time as well? So Seymour's, it was certainly brewing in my mind. Uh, you know, seafood happens to be my main source of protein. I love seafood. I love everything about the ocean. Me too. I'm with you. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> yeah. And and I love everything about the ocean. You know, some of, some of the best memories are made at the ocean. And I've got, you know, just a... a I, I, I've been fishing my whole life. My father was a fisherman. He introduced me to fishing. I, I love fishing. And so when we opened up the meatball shop and I saw what a success it was, um, there was a little uh, bodega right next door to the meatball shop. And I said to Dan, I love fish tacos. And so I said to Dan, I was like, hey, man, how about we just open up a tiny little spot in that little bodega called Fish Taco? Nobody, you know, everybody says that you've got to go to Los Angeles to get a good fish taco in New York. And I think that's insane. We can make a delicious fish taco. It's not that difficult. You know, we can make an awesome fish taco. Um, and so, you know, that, that idea obviously never happened. But I had planted the seed in my head that I wanted to do something in seafood, specifically if, around fish tacos. And so building the meatball shop, building the meatball shop. And what I've learned about myself as an entrepreneur over the years is my skill set um, is, is obviously it starts with hospitality and happiness, but it also has uh, design and uh, brand and marketing and team building and culture. Those are like the things that I really cover. And so those are incredibly important, insanely important to get a brand off the ground and to build for the first couple years. But once a brand is established, the culture is set, you know how you walk, you know how you talk, you know how to communicate, you know how you party, you know how you mourn, you know how you dance, like that's what defines a culture. Um, you know what you eat. Um, my skill set becomes far less, not uh, far less uh, important on a day-to-day -day because operations is really what is going to take a company from established to scale. And so I, I, and I, and I, and I learned that throughout that process that, you know, we know who we are. I don't need to be steering the ship with the operator on a day-to-day -day basis. And I felt that with Dan and I said to him, Hey man, you know, I love this brand more than anything on the planet, but I feel like I need to be creative again. I feel like I'm, I'm not, and I'm not 
a day-to-day operator. I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that is going to get people really excited to bring something off the ground. And that is what gets me out of bed in the morning. So after four years of building the Meatball Shop with Dan, I decided to zoom out. Obviously, you know, we all agreed on a, on a, on a plan um, from the day-to-day to focus on Seymour's because I really wanted to do something uh, with seafood. And, uh, and, and what motivated me for, for Seymour's was not only the fact that I wanted to do seafood, but the fact that the ocean was in a bit of a, uh, a tough spot. Um, and I felt like there needed to be some spotlight on some of the underdogs, some of the underutilized species of fish that people don't really know about that I grew up catching, right? Like all the fish that I caught growing up in New York, mm-hmm. um, you never see on menus ever, just ever. It just doesn't exist. Like I sell more bluefish. I probably sell more bluefish at Seymour's than anyone in the tri-state area. Why is that, do you think? Because there's no market for it. It's, it's very difficult to market. It's very difficult to compete with tuna, salmon, halibut, shrimp, cod, tough. Those are the fish that have really risen to the top. Why? There's a number of reasons. A, they're fattier fish. Fat equals flavor, right? That's the truth. B, they're bigger fish. So when you're dealing with bigger fish, you have to think about labor, right? If you have a 75-pound tuna or 250-pound tuna, it takes one person 30 minutes to get 50 to 60 portions out of that fish. To get 50 or 60 portions out of porgy... (laughs) Yeah. You got to break down 40 fish. You know what I mean? And so you got to think about the, the, the way that works. So the labor to break down these fish also played a big role in the marketing of these fish. Um, and, and so there's, there's just a number of reasons as to why. Um, and so I think that, you know, uh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an underlying foundational problem with the seafood industry, and it has to do with there not being a market for the fish that is swimming abundantly. Yeah, but you're 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 doing it. I'm we're trying. Gonna, yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna take a little break and talk more about Seymour's and, and everything you are doing there with sustainable seafood and 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 um yeah, so stay with us. This is on the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden, a beautiful handcrafted agricultural journal. Each issue features stories about food history, seasonal recipes, artisanal products, and the amazing people who bring it to your table. Packed with stunning photography, the content is fresh and educational. Southern Farm and Garden takes you behind the scenes to meet farmers, gardeners, wineries, chefs, and artists who are passionate about creating healthy, unique, and sustainable food and products that you can enjoy all year. Are you interested in eating healthier and learning more about where your food comes from and living a more connected life? Purchase a copy today at southernfarmandgarden.com. Foodtank.com named Southern Farm and Garden one of the top 20 magazines for people who eat, cook, and grow, praising it for connecting readers with the food, the farms, and the stories behind our food system. Subscribe today or find a retailer near you at southernfarmandgarden.com. bodies now drift in the break in the brine. We'll all be forgotten. Let's drink ourselves to it. 
pour a drink for the dust and the dirt and sing with me. And we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Michael Chair now. He's the founder of Seymour's, which we just started talking about. It's a 100% sustainable seafood restaurant. You have six locations in Manhattan, which is crazy how fast that's happened. Um, I was thinking before the break how you were talking about the underdog fish, and I was like, well, why don't you name the restaurant the underdog fish? Why is it called Seymour's? Um, I think when you... Naming a restaurant is really difficult, <laughs> uh, and creatively, I I I go into like a deep zone when I'm thinking about names for things. Um, I happen to be somewhat good at naming restaurants. The meatball shop's pretty simple and straightforward, <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to I wanted to the the aesthetic and the feeling that you walk into when you walk into a Seymour's is light, bright, airy, fresh, clean, healthy. Um, it's just this like open air feeling. And coming from the meatball shop, which is cozy and warm and endearing and comforting, and um, they're just very different aesthetically. Not that either one is better or worse. They're both great. But I wanted to, people knowing me from the meatball shop, I have this feeling of comfort and warmth. And I wanted there to be some sort of um, uh, element of that in in Seymour's, even though it is a much brighter, lighter area restaurant. And so I was trying to figure out a, a cool, sticky name that would, would, would bring that to the surface. And... Um, for whatever reason, I just that the name Seymour came, you know, just like, and I was like, oh wait a second, I can have fun with this. Seymour, S E A M O R E, eat from the Seymour. Seymour is like a little old kind of Jewish guy, like cozy, warm, comfy. <laughs> you want to talk to him, you want to hang out with him, um, and and that's what we did. And so I, I I I designed a logo of like a big grouper that just looked like a cozy fish and named him Seymour's or named him Seymour and uh, and that's how it happened you know it's weird how the how it happens but yeah, that's where the name came from that's great I'm glad I asked <laughs> and but the the format of there's a similarity a bit between the meatball shop and Seymour's a bit with like the pick your protein or the that you can stylize your stylize customize your own mm-hmm. meal which I think really works is I mean is that I don't know. Was that kind of the plan, or like you saw it working with Meatball Shop, and you're like, "Well, we can, we can do this with with a different concept." Absolutely. Uh, you know, customizability, I think, is 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 um, is king today. Uh, and you'll, I mean, you'll notice with like all the all the fast casual restaurants, it's always pick your pick your base, pick your protein, pick your veg, pick your this, pick your that, like make it right. choose your own adventure. There's obviously a number of of like staff picks and and owners favorites, but you know, like I think a lot of people enjoy the control. I th- I don't know who doesn't love control, right? Control is like something that human beings like. And so when you give it to them, they appreciate it. And so we did that with the meatball shop. We saw that that was very successful and with my next project Seymour's I, I wanted to incorporate an element of that. It's not as uh, as uh, prominent as it is at the meatball shop uh, at Seymour's because there's a number of other there's there's starters, there's salads, there's but the 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 hub of the menu called yeah. the real deal is choose your fish, choose your sauce, choose your sides. It's a bowl of deliciousness. Yeah. So staying sustainable while scaling because you've been growing. I don't know if you're. I mean, I don't know how you've 
managed to, what, in two, three years, six locations very fast. But if there are plans to grow more and then this sustainable seafood concept that is challenging to do, how are you managing it? And how, what advice do you have for other people to be uh, sustainable? You know, it's, it's, it doesn't sound easy. So I want to back up just for one sec. Sure. You know, the, the, the sustainability is at the core of what we do at Seymour's. I mean, it is like, it is at the core. It is what the brand is. That said, for the first couple of years, I didn't really talk much about the sustainable piece. Why? Because I don't want people to get to feel like they're walking into an educational lesson, walking into a restaurant. So, you know, what I what I'm what I do well is I create atmospheres as an entrepreneur. Like I I love creating an atmosphere where people feel good and comfortable and happy in. And so I I just knew that I could do that with Seymour's. And so I created this atmosphere that would that 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 would just make people feel stoked to be there. Um, and then we 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 had hints in throughout the restaurant. There's a board in every restaurant that I that, that I've opened, every Seymour's. It's called the Daily Landings Board, and it and it and on the on the wall it takes up a whole wall of the restaurant. We paint the different species of fish that we see throughout the year. We we uh, make the the guests aware of what fish is in house by hanging a little orange spoon next to the fish, and underneath the fish it it says three characteristics of what you can expect from that fish because most people don't know the species of fish that we're serving at the restaurant, uh, you know, because they're not really served in many places, and so. I, you know, the, 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 we get people through the doors at Seymour's through the atmosphere and the fun and, 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 and the hip and coolness of the brand. And then we hope to keep them there, um, by giving them a little piece to take home with them about doing something good for the environment. And so, uh, how do you scale and how do you scale with, with, with keeping sustainability at the forefront? Well, the nice thing about seafood is that uh, sustainable seafood is is uh, is abundant? <laughs> it's it's there's a lot of it, and fishermen um, are happy to get rid of it because uh, you know it's you gotta you gotta know that like tuna doesn't swim um, in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, you know. Or in the Mid-Atlantic region where where we focus, because we're not only sustainable but we're local and wild. At Seymour's, and so I only work with wild fish and as close to home as possible. So the fishermen that I work with don't get to fish tuna year round. There is no salmon at all. Cod is very limited, um, and there's no halibut. You know, shrimp, wild shrimp fishery doesn't exist in the Mid Atlantic region. Only down in Florida. So you got to know that these fishermen are catching these fish on a regular basis, and they're trying to get rid of it. And the majority of it they send overseas. The majority of it they export. Um, and so we're out there saying, hey, we're not only trying to, anytime somebody chooses a piece of salmon, uh, excuse me, anytime somebody chooses a piece of bluefish or blackfish or porgy over a piece of salmon, uh, we've done our job, right? That's like what we're trying to do at Seymour's, saying, hey, you don't only have to eat this. Um, you can also eat this. It's just as delicious. And, uh, and so there's a lot of this fish around. Uh, these fishermen are happy to sell it to us. And so scaling is, is awesome because the fish is not very expensive because not a, there's not a huge market for it. The, the price for salmon and tuna and cod and, and, and halibut is, is enormous because it's the number one, it's, it's most sought after, you know? 
Um, and so that's hard to scale. It's, it's hard to scale a seafood restaurant um, if you're working with great quality product uh, and you're only serving the, 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 the big four fish. But we're serving the underdogs. So we're serving dogfish and bluefish and haddock and pollock and monkfish and porgy and all the fish that nobody really knows about. And we're getting it for a lot less money than what you would typically pay a pound for the big four fish. And, uh, and we're, trying to, we're trying to put it out there. And, and, and through fun and, and brand culture, um, we're trying to get people excited about sustainable seafood. Yeah, I think you are. And yet, I mean, you said it. Your spaces, I mean, the whole design, the whole ambiance, it, they're, they're places you want to you want to hang out in. They're, you want to be there when the, with the hospitality beyond just the food. I'm like thinking, I have to go to Seymour's tonight for dinner. <laughs> Everybody like, that's listening like, should come to Seymour's tonight like for dinner. I'm like sold. I'm sold. Do you, do you want, do you have plans to expand more and beyond New York City? Uh the goal is is definitely to grow. Uh, we we had a very very busy year last year. Last year, so we 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 were one restaurant um, for a year and three quarters, and then in the last year and a quarter, we opened up five. And so it was. It I was don't know how you did that, but I guess really intense. Um, and great team, I suppose. Great team, sort of aligned vision um, and awesome uh, support support from our investors and from uh, the people that work at our at Seymour's. I mean, the team at Seymour's is, has been there from the very beginning and everybody is, believes in the mission. And, uh, and you know, where we take our, we take the sustainability piece seriously, but there's an enormous amount of levity and, and, uh, and, and we don't take, we don't take ourselves seriously. We, we have, we have a, a serious thing that we're doing and, and we take food and, and hospitality, uh, as serious as anyone could ever take, but, uh, we have a really good time. And I think that that is, uh, the balance in our industry because we're in the restaurant. I mean, everybody knows the restaurant industry's really difficult. It's just really, really difficult. So if you're not having fun, it's even more difficult. Yeah. No, it it is it is it's a very tough industry, but it's a fun industry too. So yeah, you have that you have that you have the right combo, I would say, or that you're able to. to you've been successful, and I look forward to seeing what's where, where, what else, and what is going to come with more Seymour's. So let me ask you my question from my last guest on episode one eighty eight. I had on Joe Guerrera, which he's the owner of Citarella talk about seafood. <laughs> Popular Epicurean markets. Um, they're one of the most respected neighborhood seafood shops in New York. And he has a new book out called Joe Knows Fish. So I guess I'm, I'm on a seafood kick here promoting, promoting it, which is great. Okay. So he wants to know, what do you like to cook at home? And because he, he's curious, because especially because of the diversity of your concepts, thinking of meatballs and seafood. what do I personally like? Yeah. To what cook do you like home? to cook at home? Hmm. That's a great question. I cook um, uh, everything. I cook is cooked very simply. I enjoy letting ingredients speak for themselves. So I tend to cook a lot of roasted vegetables. I love roasted vegetables. And anytime I have an opportunity to open up, and I'll put a plug out there for them because I think they're they're the best. Uh, the big green egg, I do. I have a big green egg uh, at my house upstate, and I grill everything from fish to. I mean, I grill everything on it, and uh, I only eat red meat on the weekends, and so I cook uh, every weekend, either on Friday or Saturday night. I make myself a steak, or I make my family, I make my wife and I a steak, 
um, and the kids eat, eat, you know, kids' food <laughs> that we make for them. Um, but yeah, I tend to eat fish on one night and steak on another night, and I, I love ribeye, slightly seasoned with salt and olive oil, typically cauliflower, broccoli, some sweet potatoes, and uh, and I make a salad. And uh, I use all the ingredients that either we grow on the property upstate, which is a lot, um, or uh, you know, there's an amazing farm stand right down the street from us, um, and I get uh, my beef typically from uh, Kinderhook Farms, which is around the corner, which is amazing from us upstate, and uh, and the fish I take from Seymour's. <laughs> wow. Bluefish is my go-to. Bluefish uh, is my go-to. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, I'm, you know, just keep getting more hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's great with bluefish. You don't see it, I feel, I don't know, I feel I see it more and more on menus, but not, not as, certainly not as much as, as you're talking about the tuna and the salmon and all that, so... You're giving it's good. You're you're promoting it, and more people will be eating it. So, and I want to come over for for some grilling at your <laughs> house too. Sounds delicious. Okay, we're gonna take another break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna play my speed round game and talk some industry news. Stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Michael Chernow. It's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I name a couple of things and you pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. You ready? Ready. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Mocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal. Oh, no, you're going so quick. I was like, huh, okay, communal. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Fish tacos, are we doing fried or are we doing grilled? Grilled. Boxing, running, CrossFit, or any other type of workout? Boxing. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Last one, Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. <laughs> A guy knows what he wants. That was like, that was incredible. Uh, usually people get stuck on more than one. 
<laughs> I make I'm, 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 my 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 job is about making decisions on the fly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and good to know boxing, huh? I know. I had to throw in one with it because you're you are you are I know into fitness, which is good. Okay, so industry news. First, I have uh, two upcoming events I just want to announce. And they're both coming up on the next coming Monday. So next Monday, September 24th, Skift Restaurant Forum is happening. And this is by Skift Table. It's in Midtown Manhattan. It's a one-day event devoted to the key trends and disruptions shaping the business of dining out. If you want to find out more about that, their website's table.skift.com. I will be going to that. And then the following Monday, I will be going to the next Big Bite, which is La Dame Escoffier, New York's fourth annual event uncovering emerging food trends. And this is on Monday, October 1st at the New York Law School in New York City. I'm a member of La Dame and working a bit on this event. It's going to be fabulous. Uh, it's The theme is Discover What We Will Cook, Eat, Drink, and Crave in 2019 in 4-1-Act Bites with speakers including Carla Hall, Molly Yeh, and Letty Teague. And for more information, you can go to ldny.org backslash next big bite. So always great food events happening. Industry news. Um, there was a great article I saw in the New York Times entitled Andrew Zimmern's Nonstop Road and Food Show. And this is by Kim Severson. And I just, I don't know if you, did you see this article, Michael? I didn't. Well, you know Andrew Zimmern, I'm sure. Love the man. <laughs> You know, can One you, of the best. You're not. Well, yeah, he's amazing. And this this is a big article um, talking about, I mean, the bylines, the star of TV's Bizarre Foods and dozens of other projects may be the fastest moving man in showbiz, but he is frank about the toll his breakneck pace has taken. And, you know, it's, I mean, it was it was saying he's only home in, in, in Minneapolis like a third of the year. I mean, he's traveling. He's, you know, he does multiple different shows on TV, plus he has many businesses, restaurant businesses, and was sort of looking at his, the pace he's going at and just sort of like his lifestyle. And um, I don't, I, I, I wasn't sure exactly the, in a sense, the, the, like what the, the, I would say the point was in a sense, but I mean, besides like outlying showing his life, but I did, it did reference Anthony Bourdain and his lifestyle and there is a similarity and it, I did get a little concerned in a sense of just the, how fast he's moving and that I think it was kind of an eye opening to like, well, maybe, maybe we should be slowing down a little bit or just making sure we're taking care of ourselves. I mean, he's also someone who's sober and, and talks about that and has a healthy lifestyle in that way. Um, but I don't know if you have any any thoughts on on his lifestyle or or or, or I don't know, the pace. I, I you know I mean Andrew is honestly uh, I've known him for some time and he's probably for for who he is and how how successful he is he is one of the best men I've ever encountered in this industry. He is an honest, genuine, authentic, real, great person. 
like who he is on TV is who he is in real life. The guy is just incredible. And, uh, and, and because of that, I believe, is why he's so successful and everybody wants a piece of him because he's so real and authentic and genuinely happy. Um, but I'm sure that, yeah, I'm sure the toll is taken on him. Um, he, he works his ass off. And, you know, I think that, that that I could, I mean, I can't relate because I'm not nearly as successful as he is, specifically in the things that he's focused on, like television. But, you know, in this day and age, uh, if you're not staying relevant, there are people that, that will, will bypass you. And so I think for people in our industry, in the food world and media, it's a, it's a nonstop, full throttle, just, you, you know, if you're not moving it, if you're not moving at a thousand miles an hour, uh, you're, 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 you're failing. And uh, it's a terrible, it's a terrible philosophy, but it's real, right? So that's just the bottom line. I I question how you know how I function um, all the time. Am I moving too quickly? Yes. Do I spend enough time with my family? No. Am I constantly on my phone and email? Yes. Is it probably like taking a toll on me mentally, physically, and spiritually? Absolutely. Can I do anything about it right this second? I could try my best, but it's really hard. <laughs> You know, so I think that that's the way a lot of entrepreneurs are thinking of thinking about work today. It's it's a necessary evil. It's not incredible. I honestly don't know how long it like with the, with the nonstop twenty four seven accessibility and connectivity that people have to us through social media, through email, through phone, through text, through you know all that stuff. Um, unless you are uh, insanely rigid and and strict about. I don't pick up the phone before eight o'clock in the morning, and I don't look at the phone uh, after nine o'clock at night. Um, there's a chance that you can you can you can separate from it, but th- it's very difficult. And I and I do believe that there are going to be studies because this is new stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like only in the last decade really that like phones and social media and like email and you know people were doing deals and business for hundreds of years before email. Right, like if you wanted to do a deal with somebody, you either had to look them in the eye, pick up the phone, or write a handwritten letter. I mean, that was it, you know. And maybe back in the day, there was ravens flying messages <laughs> across countries, but you know, it's a new thing, and we don't know the impact that it has on us. And I'm sure it's not good. Um, stress levels and anxiety levels are high and through the roof, and uh, you know, hopefully. There's there's going to be enough enough people that 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 say things like Andrew's saying, to 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 kind of open up the eyes that you know maybe this isn't uh, what it's all about. Yeah, no, I'm I'm I, I I'm a big fan of him and and everything he's done and he's um, I don't you know I look at his schedule and people are always with me like oh you travel so much and I'm looking at people like Andrew like I saw this last weekend he was he was at Portland Feast and then the next day I saw he was at the Nashville <laughs> Food and Wine Festival the that was happening there and then he was back in New York like it's like nonstop and and also being a celebrity and being recognized there was something in the article about how he like moves very quickly in in a sense to I don't know if it was was probably joking a little bit, but to avoid all the selfies with all his fans, you know. Um, 
but I think what he's done and the impact he's made in the industry and that he, he's this voice and, um, and, and he's opened the eyes of people to so many different foods and cultures and like, he's doing incredible work and I wish him much continued success. And I feel like he's a great role model, um, for many of us, but it is also, I guess this point of, or what my takeaway of this article is maybe we should all be slowing down a little bit or trying to slow down a little bit because don't want to burn out and <laughs> and not enjoy life and it's hard it's hard so um it was yeah and uh, kim severson always writes incredible pieces so i'm a big fan of hers so um yeah check that out new york times and uh we're gonna come back we're gonna i have my solo dining experience and then we'll do the final question so stay with us this is all in the industry on heritage radio network Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Centralen. Here's the rundown. The location, Upper Slotsgate 3, Oslo, Norway. The concept, an innovative eatery with good Norwegian ingredients and continental flavors with a menu that changes seasonally. The chef, Christina Heltnes Groning, and the manager, Tom Andre Metals. So why did I go? Because I was on a solo trip exploring Oslo on my way to then go to Copenhagen for the MAD conference. And I was intrigued by this place because I read about it in a blog post that Mitchell Davis had wrote on the James Beard Foundation's website. Mitchell was my guest on episode 179. So my experience, I made a reservation for one at 5.30 early because this place seemed very popular. When I arrived, I was seated at the big cat that was overlooking towards the open kitchen and it was a very lovely space and my server guided me through the menu and I had a nice time. So what did I get? I went with a couple of small plates. I had the smoked beet root with tarragon, egg yolk, and horseradish. I had a half-baked cauliflower with curry, miso, and hazelnuts. And I went for dessert. I had Norwegian raspberries with champagne sauvignon and elderflower. So my take. Now, this was not a vegetarian restaurant, but I had these two 
amazing vegetable dishes that were probably some of the best vegetable dishes I've ever had. They were really divine. And the dessert was fabulous too. I usually don't do dessert when I'm by myself, but I'm glad I did because it was really, really excellent. So the ambiance, it's a gorgeous light wood finished space. It has some big windows. It's a corner location. The site used to be a bank building and it also includes a co-working space and vibrant cultural house. So it's perfect for, I'd say, solo dining, date night, or business dinner because I observed all those different parties while I was there. Interesting tidbit. Central Inn also has an adjacent cafeteria with a more casual menu, including pizza. And that's actually where Mitchell had eaten that evening when he was there and wrote about the place. Personal fun fact. So since I dined early, of course, I had more meals that night. <laughs> I um, did a, a second dinner later at a Scandinavian restaurant called Arakataka, which was also great. And in between, I went to this the, this hotel called The Thief, and I, I did some work there, and it was a really, really lovely, lovely place to check out. Okay, so the cost of this meal was $35 converted into U.S., which is really reasonable considering Norway was very expensive, but it was it was just a couple small plates, so I was, I was happy with that. Would I go back? Yes, I loved it, and I really loved Oslo, too, and their website is centralinrestaurant.no. So there you have it. Oslo, have you been? Get it. I have not <laughs> been. My wife is Danish, so I'm in Denmark often. You need to go to Oslo. I'm going to start. I'm, I am. This is my, my first step into the promotion of Oslo because I, I was really impressed by the food scene, and it was, it was really lovely. Was there like, are lovely, lovely people from Norway. We have, we have some great Norwegian friends. Yeah. yeah. Well, people were nice. So, yeah, it was a great experience. Okay, so next week, my guest is Sarah Moulton. She is a chef, cookbook author, TV personality. She's hosting season eight of Sarah's Weeknight Meals. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know, I've known Sarah a long time. She was also the co-founder of the New York Women's Culinary Alliance, which I was the president of several years ago. So I'm super excited to have her on. So for the final question of the show, Michael, what would you like to ask Sarah? Hmm. Wow. What would I like to ask Sarah? Um, gosh. That's a good question. Do you remember do you rem- I mean you've done you've done TV. I don't know, maybe you want to ask her something about TV. She used to have this show um, live with Sarah Moulton, I think it was what it was called. It was it was like seven o'clock on weekdays every night, food network live TV with her cooking. I don't know how she did stuff like that. I mean, um, these are my questions. Like, how did you do a live... Mm. How did you do a live TV cooking show? I mean, it's it's incredible. Does she own restaurants or no? No, she doesn't. Okay. Um, But you can ask her anything. I mean, you could ask her what her favorite fish is. Sure. (laughs) If she likes fish. Um, (laughs) I want to ask something that's creative and fun and will make her think for a second. Um... She's New York based. Yes. Okay. Um, has she been to Seymour's? Okay. And if so, is there any bit of advice she could give on how we could be better? All right. Put her to work. Yeah. Why not? Right. Like a, a hospitality culinary professional. I love feedback, and when you don't ask for it, sometimes you don't get it. 
Yeah, no, smart. Well, you're smart. <laughs> you are, and you're 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 so. I'm I'm so delighted to have you on today, and that's that's the show. I just um, I wish you so much more success, and I'm just a big fan of yours and everything you've done. So. Um, it's good to know you. And Thank you so much, Sherry. I really appreciate welcome. you having me on. I had such a good time. Oh, good. Um, I look forward to seeing you at, I don't know, where I'm going to catch you at which Seymour's location, but I, ha- I have options. Well, just, just so everybody knows, Seymour's is, uh, we're, we're, we're all over the place now, and we're doing fun stuff. And uh, follow us on, uh, on social media, Seymour's, or at Seymour's, for uh, you know, staying up to date with what we got going on. Cool, fun things. Yeah, definitely. And your website, Seymours.com, too. I had that here. So my guest today has been Michael Chernow. He's the founder of Seymours, and um, he's also the co-founder of the Meatball Shop. So you could you could check that out as well. And, um, yeah, follow him. He's uh, he's good on Instagram. <laughs> at Michael Chernow. At Michael Chernow and at Seymours. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR. At All Industry, my Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, so you can listen anywhere, anytime. Thanks again to Michael for coming out here. And thanks to Christina, who's a publicist, who's here with us today. Thank you for helping us set this up. And... Um, I will be back next week with another live show. I hope you will tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.